Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in our studio and on the phone with pancreatic cancer survivor and fighter, Josie Cole. Josie, how are you? Good. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a guest. Uh, we just off the mic just figured out you're, you're relatively pretty close to our office here in uh, in Connecticut. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny for our listeners at home. Um, we do a lot of podcast episodes with survivors and fighters and, and people who are, are going through this thing called pancreatic cancer. But we connected via social media on Instagram. And uh, I just have to say, before we get into your story, Josie, I, I'm a big dog person. And I know we briefly mentioned before recording that uh, that you know, there's pictures of there with a the dog, and I, I I have to say I appreciate that. So yeah, thank well, you. Yeah, I do love my dog. That's for sure. <laughs> and you have what well, you have a is it one dog or two dogs? I have two dogs. I have um, a bulldog and a Jack Russell Terrier, but the bulldog is more kind of like my dog, and the Jack Russell's more you know my husband. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. We I I was a proud owner of a boxer for many years, and that became my wife's dog really quick. Yeah, uh, and then when that dog passed away sadly we uh it took us a couple years and then we got a lab and that dog now is my wife's as well uh even though i love the dog yeah, kind of yeah, yeah yeah the bulldog though i have to tell you i mean both breeds are really great animal you know really great dogs um i've had experience with both uh just with friends having both breeds but the bulldog is a you know so close to the boxer and that family i guess um but they're great dogs and they're just they've got kind of their own personality and and it's just really special. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you, animals, you know, they know since oh, I've yeah. been sick, uh, this dog has not left my side. He is mm. and he, and underfoot, and he wasn't like that before. So it's pretty amazing, you know, when I'm really not feeling well, he'll just sit right up against me, and it's very comforting to have him. So it's very, very big in my, uh, in all this, because, you know, I feel like I have some, somebody next to me at all times. He's, they, they definitely know when somebody is not feeling well. Oh, without a doubt. And yeah. it, it's so special to have that, though. You know, I mean, I know we'll get into this here in a second, but I'm sure when the days aren't as good as they, they could be, it's so comforting to have, uh, you know, your oh, dog absolutely. there with you. It, make, it definitely makes me feel so much better, you know, having that. And he's sitting next to me right now, as a matter of uh, fact. What's his name? Chunk. Chunk. I love it. I love it. Chunk. Chunk, yep. Chunk. And how old is Chunk? Chunk is four. Oh, he's a baby then. Special, special animals in our, you know, I, I always used to kind of laugh. I mean, I grew up with dogs as a, as a young child and, and so did my wife. But so when we decided to start a family and have a family, we always wanted like an, a dog to be part of that that family and i know people were like you're crazy you just had a kid like you're gonna bring a dog and i'm like yeah but it's well, just I also so have, i'm a big animal person and i have also two parrots oh. and um a cat which my daughter who's now married she kind of left here so you know you inherited a cat he's like the cat is like 17 years old too oh, wow. so he's so i have quite a few animals to take care of that's a lot yeah but you know i'll tell you something with the cancer treatment um I am not really supposed to, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to go near cat litter. Yeah. So, or the or the birds. There's something yeah. about the birds that the doctor. So I, what I do is I use gloves and a mask. Yeah. If I pick them up or anything now, and it's been, you know, six months, so I've been having to do that. So that's something that people don't even consider huh. when you're going through chemo. You have to be very careful about that kind of stuff. 
Well, I know with infection, I mean, clearly when someone's on chemotherapy treatment, the risk of infection because your immune system being so beaten up is, is higher, right? So I, I, maybe it has oh, yeah. something to do with, you know, just the, the birds who can spread disease. Yeah, because birds, you know, can carry some, yeah. some diseases. And so that was one of the first things my doctor told me. I did ask her because um, I've had my birds for 25 years. So wow. I know a lot about them. So, but I, I'm, I'm really very careful about handling them and washing my hands. Wow. Uh, I haven't had any trouble yet, and I've been doing this since chemo since July. So, well, let's hope that that continues the trend there with not having any issues. So, what we always do, Josie, for our listeners at home, we always allow our guests kind of the opportunity in the beginning of the podcast to share a little bit about their background, and I always kind of preface this with our guests to say you can share as much of your experience before cancer or as little and, and then we can go from there and and it could even be about you know how you were diagnosed and when that happened or you can go a little bit further or before that and talk a little bit about life before cancer so with that well, well I, I am um, I'm a nurse with a VNA a local VNA here in Watertown um, I work in the office now for the past couple of years which is good doing uh, the intake and um, so I was working full-time, health, very healthy and active person. I went for daily hikes and walks with my dogs, local parks, state parks, um, just a normal life. It means just me and my husband now. Um, our daughter's married and lives a couple miles away. And uh, I was, like I said, just having normal, normal old life, not really many health problems. And uh, just one day in May, the beginning of May, I was getting very bad heartburn at work. So, you know, I grabbed a couple of Tums, and then I started getting pain in between my back, and I knew as a nurse, mm-hmm. and that, you know, being a nurse, you actually is kind of good because, you know, you think, I think you think a little differently, you know, you yeah. think, okay, what are these symptoms? I was getting very bad pain in my sternal area and ended up um, in the ER that night with pancreatitis. That kind of pain, you know, you know to go to the ED, it's pretty bad. And you've never had pancreatitis before? Well, I will tell you, I had pancreatitis about six years prior because I had a gallbladder huh. issue. So huh. I had that pain before, and it's a very specific pain. Um, and it was a fluke, and, they, and the doctor said it was not related at all, so it was kind of a fluke that I had it twice. Um, so, but I knew as soon as I had it, I was saying in my head, cause I stayed at work the whole day with that pain thinking it was, it couldn't be pancreatitis. Why would I be getting pancreatitis? I have no gallbladder. I have, you know, I was trying to diagnose myself Yeah. and I even drove home. I made my dip, my dogs their dinner and, and then I went to ED and <laughs> of course it was that I, I was um, admitted to Waterbury hospital uh-huh. that day. And, uh, you know, they did all the testing, ultrasounds, MRIs, CAT scans, and the only thing they found was I had a little bit of a blockage, a stricture in my common bile duct. Mm-hmm. So they put a stent in, and uh, I was there for about five days, jaundice, all the normal symptoms. And um, But they didn't see the tumor at that time. Wow. So they sent me home. And about 10 days later, I got pancreatitis again. Went back to the hospital. This time I was septic, and I was very sick. They replaced this tent again, which they do a procedure, which is an ERCP, which is a little, yep. uh, you know, the thing that goes down your throat. It looks into your bile duct and 
all that stuff, good stuff. Um, so I was hospitalized a couple of times in May with the same thing. And each time it, there was no tumor found. And I had many CAT scans because every time you go into the ED and you have that, they'll do another CAT scan. And, um, and even through that procedure, they can see quite a bit. I mean, that's one of the procedures right. that they, normally, when, yeah. yeah, normally they will use an endoscopic, you know, the ERCP to go down there right. so that they can see down in the duct work and see if there's any type of mass that typically will block any of the ducts. So that's fascinating. Exactly. That so, they you, so in my mind, going through all this, I did never, ever thought the word cancer because I would say in my head, they would have seen something, if yeah. there was a tumor or anything. This must be some weird, just fluky thing. And um, once again, about after I was DC'd again, about 10 days later again, I got pancreatitis. So that's three wow. times. This time I called my GI doctor and I said, I think maybe I should go to Yale. Mm-hmm. And he agreed. And um, I went to Yale. I drove all the way up there. My sister drove me. And... They admitted me also, and the next day they did an ERCP, but up at Yale they have an ERCP with ultrasound, which they don't have at Waterbury. This is a specialized machine mm-hmm. that goes in and they do an ultrasound of your pancreas internally. And that's finally when I got the news that there was something in the head of my pancreas. Mm-hmm. So it took about a month to even get there. And that was shocking because I really thought, geez, if you have a tumor, that would have been seen a long time ago. That's what you would think but that wasn't the case at all. So, so I was there nope. for a few days, and then, um, you know, they called me a week or so later and told me that there was cancer cells, and then that, that's when everything started, and I got an appointment with my oncologist, uh-huh. a surgeon, and um, it was deemed that I couldn't have surgery right now because my tumor is was abutting a major artery. Yep. So... Uh, they wanted me to do chemo first, uh, you know, 12 chemos, which is six months of chemo because it's every two weeks. And um, that's what I'm doing. And I'm actually done with chemo. December 20th is my 12th chemo. Wow. So, and it, the tumor is shrinking. It's slowly, slowly finally shrinking. less than 180 degrees against the, uh, the artery. Against the artery. And I was told that my last visit with my oncologist that the doctor there, there should be no problem operating which is what was my big my biggest concern was not getting the Whipple so I'm very happy about that that's amazing so yeah. I, I'm gonna back up a little bit though here sure you mentioned gallbladder issue a couple years ago and did you have your gallbladder removed yes I did they uh when I got the pancreatitis I think it was in 2012 I believe mm-hmm. um there was no stone or anything. They just said my gallbladder was mysteriously just shutting down. Huh. <laughs> so nothing's ever just so there wasn't a, there wasn't so, a, a rock yeah, was, or anything. I mean, they took the gallbladder out a few months later. So there wasn't like a blockage in there because I know no, like nothing. sometimes people, you know, and this is where you know it's frustrating. And for our listeners at home, I'm sure people have gone down this road that have experienced this where it's kind of like trial by elimination um, in terms oh, yeah. of finding it out. And you know, I know we've had people that we've talked to where, uh, and I know for my dad uh, who went through with it, you know, they removed his gallbladder at first and said, oh, you, you have a gallstones and that's what's causing the pain and the, the, the blockage and, you know, your jaundice. And, you know, they removed the gallbladder and then, you know, there still was the pain and there still was, you know, the jaundice and some other issues. 
So I'm just kind of curious, you know, and, but that, that's a long time to go from 2012, then to 2019, you know, you're talking almost, you know, seven years where you were kind of symptom free then you didn't have any bouts with the pancreatitis or you didn't have no, any nothing. issues. I was, per- I was perfectly healthy after they took my gallbladder out, um, except for some silly things like I broke my foot. But yeah, after that, there was nothing. And, and you know, I'm not, you know, I'm a fairly healthy person. Yeah. So I try, you know, try and eat right. And, but yeah, that was the, that was very strange to me, but I will tell you, um, now looking back at my symptoms in May, there were some things that were going on that now, and this, you hear this all the time, I'm sure, are, were symptoms I was having. Like I was extremely tired starting about in February of the new year. Yeah. I was very fatigued and, um, I would just have to come home and take a nap. And that's very unlike me. I'm, I'm, People love to tell me that I'm always, you know, bebopping around because I'm, I'm very active and yep. I can't sit still usually. <laughs> I'm one of those people that I always have to be doing something and I don't like to sit still. Yeah. Well, I would come home and I would take a nap and I would say to myself, why am I so tired? And then um, about two weeks before I got my first the pancreatitis, I started getting a rash on my face, yeah. my neck, and my upper chest, which I later learned is symptoms, symptoms of your liver malfunctioning. Yeah. yeah. And I was... I thought I was having an allergic reaction to somebody's perfume in the office. <laughs> and we, I even got put on uh, steroids, a steroid cream, and made a big fuss about, you know, in the office about perfume. And, yeah. Uh, and it ended up that was a precursor to what was happening. But, you know, who would ever think well, that I, those symptoms would be a sign of pancreatic cancer? I had no idea. Well, I think hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So we can, you, I think we can always look back at situations and and try to, you know, see like what did we miss or where was that, you know, standpoint. Yeah. Well, now, like I said, now going back and looking, I've seen other yeah. people that have get, had the rashes and um, the fatigue, and you know, I have a thyroid disorder, so the fatigue, I was just chalking it up to, to thyroid, oh, my yeah. thyroid must be a little slow or off. Um, so you, you know, it's hard to get those symptoms when they're kind of. They're kind of vague. Well, that was my second point yeah. was I was going to say here is they are vague, right? And I think that's one of the, the powers, you know, this podcast, I, I hope, as we were talking before we started recording, but as we say here in recording, you know, for those listening at home, is to be aware. And I think, you know, kudos to you for realizing at the time when you did that, you know, something wasn't right and naturally being in the medical community and, and the job you have certainly helped, but also just knowing as we've heard many times, people that just know something's not right. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times people don't go to their doctor when something's going on. Like, I didn't report to my doctor that I was feeling very fatigued. You know, you just kind of say, ah, fuck it up. But I've learned something very important is if something is out of the ordinary for your health and it comes on fast, like minded, you have to go to the doctor and you see, you know, get checked up because... You can't take you can't take you know your your health into your own hands. You have to, and I think that's another that's another reason people don't get diagnosed till later is you're getting these vague symptoms or you're thinking ah just I'm tired. But if it's a if it's a, a quick change in your health, that's that's a red flag, and that's that's something very important I learned. Yeah, uh, that's what I think people should get out of that is that you know just just go go to your doctor and you know see what is going on because that's it's not normal to have something out of the ordinary like that and especially quickly 
So that's definitely a lesson I, I learned, even, you know, especially trying not to self-diagnose myself. Yeah, I mean, that's the other, that's the fair too, though, like, right? Like, and I think that's one thing with the medical community, as you know, you, you're in it, you know, that people, you know, go to the internet really quick and try to self-diagnose. And I, I think going back to the biggest challenge with this, one of the biggest challenges, there's many, but the vagueness of the symptoms, as you said, like being fatigued and also, you know, the the, the rash, you know, those are so, you know, fatigue can be from diet, you know, you're well, it could like, be one of a bazillion. You know, I know there's so many fatigue. things. Yeah. You get fatigue every day and yeah. it can be from a, a million different things. So it's so, so vague. A, a, a symptom that's could be anything. So, yeah. you, you know, how would you know? Yeah. You know? So it's hard to, I, and I also think too, like as a, as a advocate, for yourself, it's hard too to beat yourself up that maybe you missed something along the way too, Josie, because I think that's kind of hard to put on yourself. Um, you know, looking back, of course, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. Right, like, exactly. The rash, like I, I think my wife changed the laundry detergent a little while ago, a couple months back, and I was having kind of this weird reaction, and I was like, oh, because we changed, you know, the skin, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't used to having that detergent, or I think it was like the dry cleaners or something changed something in the way they were doing my shirts so you know there's so many like a rash is just so common i mean you can go out and do yard work and get a rash yeah right? exactly that's that's the problem and you know that's the problem with, with these kind of diagnoses you just who would think you, you would never think in a million years oh i have a rash oh i have cancer yeah. that's the furthest thing from your mind is in the you know and when you know when i finally did get to the oncologist and uh she said to me, you know, you know, you shouldn't have this at your age, which, you know, well, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, kind of shocked that she said that. And I, so, cause I really didn't know much about pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And of course, then you do the most awful thing you can do when you've got pancreatic cancer is go on the internet because you're just like, Oh geez, that's it. I'm dying. I mean, that's, it, it just had the worst it's very depressing, and uh, but you gotta. I, I stopped doing that too, and that's another thing I learned is, is boy, do not go. And it's you know because your experience is gonna be different from anybody else's. So you've got to just go with what your doctors are and, and try not to look at the bad news, you know, because it, it's very you know you don't have. It's hard to have a lot of hope when you see the, oh you know five percent and nine percent and but you have to um, maintain a really good attitude throughout all this and. Uh, you have to be hopeful. That's well, all you can do, really. I, I want to stay on that point there for a second because I think you just said something that's so powerful for our audience listening at home. You said a, lot, a couple things, actually, that I want to talk about. One, the Internet. And I, I, I always advocate to families, like, stay off the Internet. And that's really hard to do because I think the Internet is a great place for facts and for information when used in the right way, but then also can be very harmful. What are some of the things, and, and I know from following you on Instagram, on social media, I know you, it, you've got the dogs, but you also have had your friends kind of rally with you as well. Um, oh, yeah. They, I had a, uh, they did a benefit for me. Um, because I'm going to Yale and I'm, I'm supposed to be going to another hospital because of my insurance plan, it was a lot more out of pocket. And so they held a, uh, a ZD benefit for me back in um, September. Um, where I, and uh, actually we had originally planned it. My father owns a restaurant in Watertown. It's a smaller restaurant. 
and um, maybe holds about 100 people. That's where we were having it. Mm-hmm. But we had gotten such a response um, that we had changed the venue. Wow. And we actually, and I have a cousin that owns a restaurant. We have a lot of people in my family that own, are in this business, Deli's restaurants. So th- they have a bigger restaurant, and they agreed to host the, the ZD dinner and... Um, because we thought it would be over 100 people, and ended up, I had over 350 people, amazingly, at this benefit. I, wow. That was another thing I learned, boy, is uh, the, the kindness. You know, you kind of don't think of people like that anymore. Um, you, you know, it's kind of like each, everyone's out for their own, and, you know, you get that attitude, you know, I think a lot of people get that attitude as, as they go on in life. But, boy, that taught me the biggest lesson of all this is, the kindness. I mean, the people that were there, people I went to grammar school with, um, ex-patients, and people that were mailing in money. I, I couldn't believe it. People I didn't even know. So that was a huge, like, wow, people people really are nice. And that was really kind of them to do. It was amazing. And I was totally shocked by the turnout. Really totally shocked. And, I mean, people have just been wonderful to me and my family and driving me everywhere, doing my housework. It's just been, I've really learned, that's the biggest lesson I learned is, wow, people are very kind and very helpful. So that was that was really nice. So Humanity is good, you know. <laughs> wow, there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of good people in the world. I think, unfortunately, they're, they're probably listening. But, you know, I think the one thing is that, um, you know, with regards to the media <laughs> and social media and the internet, oh, yeah. I think certain things get pushed in certain directions in terms of what gets coverage and what sells newspapers. And I think some of the, the good stuff that people don't necessarily want to publicize and promote and talk about don't get, you know, talked well, you about. Know, it's funny. I really didn't want this to ha- that to happen. The whole, the, you know, I, I felt guilty. Like I don't want to ask people, you know, because I've always been the person that's been, like, the caregiver, and, you know, I've worked hard for everything I have and never asked anybody for anything. So it's kind of you're vulnerable when you're feeling like you have to ask for help. And most people don't want to ask for help, I, I think, especially if you're very independent. Yeah. So it was kind of like, geez, I don't want to really. But, you know, people are like, no, no, we're doing this for you. We're not taking no for an answer. And then to see faces I hadn't seen in years and, it was really nice, and uh, like I said, it reaffirmed that you know, wow, you know, these people are really nice, and they didn't have to do this, and so it's that that was nice, and that that may, that's kind of carried me through, and all the cards I get from people all over the country, like old schoolmates, and it's been very nice. I have to say, that's really made me happy. That's pretty special. Yeah, it really was. So, when we talk about the internet, and you said your experience uh, is different. Did you have something that happened that you realized that to like, get off the internet? And, uh, and well, I know we I think, talked a little bit about well, the I, well, Yeah, what I found out about the internet, and like I said, especially, to, it seems to me with pancreatic cancer especially, boy, I mean, just the statistics, which are true statistics, they're, they're just, they're not good. Yeah, You know, and I know a lot of people that have had cancer, obviously, and, uh, you know, a lot of, I work with a lot of people that have had cancer, and they've been cancer-free for years, and, but, you know, it just looks so grim, 
But your cancer is so different than anybody else's pancreatic cancer. You know, you know, somebody's can be in their the middle of their pancreas could spread. It could so you can't really go by others because everybody's is different. You know, mine is in the head. Yep. And I had the stricture in the but it didn't. Mine has not spread anywhere. So I'm pretty lucky as far as that. And um, but you know, you just reading it is is very depressing, and you know, you want to stay away from being in that mindset because you have to have a strong mind, I really think, to fight and stay strong during this. Definitely. Did you So I don't I don't look up things anymore at all and I even um I do I am in like a pancreatic cancer support group but it's it's more supportive than bad news. I you know, you know this you, you don't want to really hear bad news. I think is that, that's how I feel at least. And uh because, you know, so I was waking up in the middle of the night not sleeping, especially at first. Mm-hmm. And I would go on the Internet looking up and, oh, I, I, it would make me way worse. <laughs> like, you know, you, you, it's not good odds. And that's, that's very, like, you know, it could be very depressing. But you know that, though, right? Like, so, you know, I mean, I think that's one thing that I've always said. I think the patients know the fight they're in for, but they don't need to be reminded of it every single day and in your yeah, face, right? Yeah, right. That's exactly right. Because it, if it's in your face and, you know, there's actual numbers and you, you, ha- you have to stay away from that because with this cancer, uh, it could make you, you know, you have to say, I'm going to be okay. And hopefully... And, you know, they did find out my cancer, I had a genetic mutation. So you, I was going to ask that. Yeah. So you are, or which genetic mutation are you in? It's called the ATM gene. Oh, ATM, yeah. We know ATM. And uh, I was shocked <laughs> because, you know, they say, well, we have to figure out why you have this. And um, and it was, I had a lot of cancer on my father's side yep. of my, my, my uncles and aunts and grandmother. My grandmother died of pancreatic cancer. Wow. Yeah, uh, it was late stage. Had spread everywhere when they found it, but um, but I didn't even think of that, like that that was related. I don't know why I didn't think that, but um, I was shocked when I found out it was a genetic mutation. So that was that was interesting. Which is a good thing, as we you know, I mean, it, not to say that getting pancreatic cancer is a good thing, but knowing, yeah, ten I mean, percent of all the cases that are diagnosed have some sort of genetic mutation. The good news with that is there is a treatment protocol that we know with with a lot of these gene mutations that actually responds very well. Um, And, and, you know, so we've had patients on the podcast that have BRCA mutations. Um, I don't know if we've had anyone that came out that said they had an ATM mutation, but we've had people with Lynch syndrome. But the good thing is, is that, um, you know, that the science has done a, a fairly good job in the past five years with genetics. And that's, I think, where we're going forward, um, you know, in terms of all disease control and management is, you know, more into the genetics because something you've said a lot here a couple times is that every case is different. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, from a clinical standpoint with pancreatic cancer is that every patient reacts differently to the medications. And we don't know why. And I, I would tend to be a betting man and put money on that because the genetic phenotype for these tumors is vastly different from every patient. So, you know, you bring yeah. two patients in and whether or not they, they, they probably don't have a genetic mutation, but they have some sort of different phenotype 
that hasn't been identified yet. And so that's where I know we've been really critical about, you know, and in, you know, getting patients genetic testing. I mean, now that's a that's a mandate across the country that every pancreatic cancer patient have genetic testing on the tumor. Yeah, um, I read that this was yeah. just enacted this, this year. beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's so it's fascinating stuff, but it's a game changer, Josie, because there are people that are living longer, that are thriving and surviving pancreatic cancer because they know that they have a certain gene mutation. So that's really powerful stuff that you just said, you yeah. know, with regards to that. I want to talk about you said having the strong mindset. And I and I ask this question often is pre-cancer was your mindset that way were you able to like tune things out um oh yeah you know like because I, yeah. I, 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 i'm very good at that <laughs> so that was something that wasn't like you didn't you didn't have to kind of create this new no. kind of sense that was of, my personality yeah so um you know yeah i don't know in, in my in my case you know like i'm very i have a good attitude. i try to have a good attitude and i and I'm a very, you know, very independent, strong person. And uh, but trying to maintain that through chemo is not easy. And actually, it's funny because last time I was at chemo, which is two weeks ago, I'm actually going again this Friday. Um, my nurse, she said to me that, oh, she's like, here's my, um, here's my. You're like the best one we have in chemo so far. All the time you've been here, you're, you know, you've barely gotten sick. You didn't lose your hair. She's like, you're my superstar here. And I was like, I had no idea. Like I just thought I was just going plopping along like everybody else. And but from from my caregivers and my my APR, and even told me that that morning. They're like, we are all in awe of you and. I was like, wow, I, I had no idea that I was this, you know, chemo superstar here. You know, it's because I go in there and I go in there and I thumbs up and, you know, I sit there and do my knitting or whatever I do. But um, really, too, I have not been very sick through this whole treatment. Um, you know, of course, I get the normal chemo symptoms, severe fatigue and you know, nausea, um, I take some immunity gummy. I try and keep my immune system really strong. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it was really kind of nice to hear, like, oh wow, I, you know, I guess I am doing pretty good at this chemo thing because uh, I I'm actually even still working twenty hours a week, um, four days a week. I went back to work in August because I didn't want to just sit home and be sitting here thinking about my illness. I go to work and even believe me, some days especially right after chemo, or I drag myself there. I mean, I don't even want to get dressed or put makeup on. And I'm, it's forcing yourself. And I also have a lot of trouble with my legs. I get very bad leg weakness, and I have to sometimes use a cane. But I still get to work, and I've only missed, like, one day of work this whole time. And that was just actually Tuesday. I was not feeling good at all, so I uh, called out. But it's been pretty amazing if I look back at it myself because, like, geez, I'm almost done with this. I mean, December 20th, like I said, is my last chemo. So I can't, I just can't believe that I got through this. It was just terrible, pretty terrible. You know, nobody could prepare you for chemo. You know, I'll tell you that. Well, especially with pancreatic cancer too, I think you, unfortunately, you know, you go down, you know, the path and this is the reality. I mean, the chemotherapy treatments are just, they're, yeah, they're not Yeah, and they say easy. you're on a very, you know, I'm on a very aggressive, I'm on Fulfluorinox. Correct. It's an aggressive, they say you're on an aggressive chemo. And that's good because 
you know, it's very hard, I've learned this too, for that tumor to shrink because the pancreas, you know, it's such, it's such a little fortress over there. Yeah. And it's slow going. And as a matter of fact, my first CAT scan, which was four treatments in, it hadn't shrunk at all, and I was devastated. I, I couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, they actually sent the, before my doctor came in, they sent the, a resident saw me. And he was like, you know, the treatment's not working. And I was just sitting there, and I couldn't believe what he was telling me. Like, we may have to do radiation. He was telling me all these awful things, and only four in. And then the doctor came in, and she's like, oh, no, no. You know, it's, it is going to be slow going. It's, this is normal. This yeah. is very common, blah, blah, blah. But um, so it's been a very slow, slow shrink. It's shrinking, but it, I couldn't, I just can't believe it because, you know, it wrecks your whole body. You think, why is it not down to nothing by now? It's, it's just killing everything else in your body. But, but it, boy, you learn it's, it's a very hard cancer because of the way the pancreas is situated and to shrink. And that's been kind of, you know, something that's on my mind all the time, too. But um, thankfully, I had a little good news that it's operable now because that's, you know, being operable is, is, is big for me. So so with your care, so your chemotherapy is Fluorinox, which is a very toxic yeah. treatment protocol, but you're doing very well. You haven't lost yeah. your hair. Uh, have there been anything else that uh, I know you said the weak legs and stuff, which, but yeah, neuropathy that's like my or biggest anything problem else? is because walking and it's, and I also do get, um, a rapid heart rate, hmm. um, some days, I mean, uh, up to 140 beats a minute, just walking, which is very high. Yeah. Um, and I have uh, a pulse ox, which you put on your finger, it tells you your heart rate and your pulse. Um, because I ended up in the ED one day for that. Uh, I didn't know, but I've now had it the whole time, so I know um, I just sit down, I do some deep breathing and bring my heart rate down. Yeah. Um, but that and the, the legs, I mean, just getting up my stairs, because my bedroom is upstairs. Um, sometimes my husband will actually have to stand behind me and, like, help me, and my coworkers will come and they'll help me in and they'll even they'll even push me in my chair because <clears throat> our bathroom is kind of far away. They'll roll me <laughs> across the office if I'm too weak to walk. That's cute. Um, but that's been, yeah, a huge thing is, and, you know, I can't go to a grocery store or I have a little wheelchair that my sister will, if yeah. we have to go somewhere, because um, it's just too hard to walk because of my legs. They'll give out. So that's probably been my biggest thing because it makes me immobile. Yeah. But you so, haven't you haven't had, like, a lot of nausea or, like, fruit aversions or anything? Well, I do get nausea, yeah. but I have a lot of medicines. I have peppermint oils, um, other things that I just take the medicines because they do, you know, the treatment is bad, but they sure, they sure do try their hardest to give patients nausea control. I'm on so many different nausea meds, but you know, and then you, of course, you know, your taste, your taste is off. So nothing tastes right. And, and but, you, you know, that's another, I think that's why I ended up dehydrated. I wasn't drinking enough because nothing tasted good to me and I didn't want to drink. But that is another lesson I learned is you have to stay hydrated. Uh, I even go, um, I go home with a pump. Uh, so I, I go on a Friday to chemo and then they send me home with a pump of another med that I have to wear for another two days. I go back to Yale on Sunday 
and I get disconnected, and that's where they give you more nausea meds, and they give you um they give me the shot for my white blood cells, the new and then I thing. now get hydration on those days because I found that that helps me feel better in the in the next week or two than not having it, and that's something I learned late in chemo, and I kind of wish I had done it now, looking back the whole time, because uh like today and this whole week I felt pretty good, which is very unusual. Uh, but it's from getting the hydration and being and hydrated. So, I, like I said, I kind of wish I knew that months ago because that would have saved me a lot of not feeling well. But these are lessons you learn. You know, there's no instruction book on this, and <laughs> that's for sure. Well, yeah, I, I think, you you know, you just hit the head of the nail right on top of the head. Like, there is no book on. And I think that I remember when my dad, they gave us a book on, like, chemotherapy, right? But this disease is so different than so many other cancers. But I, my mom's had breast cancer twice and the way she experienced that compared to pancreatic cancer and what my dad went through and what patients, you know, just being in the business for the last 10 years is totally different. Right. So, and there is no book. And I think the one fascinating thing, and I appreciate you being so open and honest with our audience, Josie, is that, you know, there's some patients that, quite honestly, that don't do well on fluoronox or they have to, you know, combine fluoronox with another type of treatment. And, and that's, I think, the frustrating thing with this disease, as we said before, you know, there's so many, it's so different for everyone. And what works for, for you may work for a lot of people out there, but not everyone, you know, and so right, that's, the, yeah. that's the challenge. I'm just grateful that I was able to tolerate it because like you started saying, yeah. I read a lot on my, the group I'm on about people that cannot tolerate it at all. And a lot of times the medications have to be reduced. Correct, yeah. And I did have, at one point, they reduced one of my meds for two treatments due to my legs. And I told them, I want it back full strength <clears throat> because I want it to do its job. It's, it was the one um, oxyplatin. It yep. has the platinum in it, and yeah. that's supposed to be really good at killing a tumor. And I didn't want it go on because I, I, even though I was not feeling well and it was doing that to me, I wanted it full strength because I didn't care. I just want my tumor to shrink. I don't care what my side effects are. I don't care how I can't walk, how bad I feel and how bad my cold sensitivity is in my fingers. I said, just give it to me. I'm going to tolerate it. And they gave it back to me. So they yeah. looked at me like I had two heads. But I said, nope, I want the whole strength. These last few ones, I really wanted to get that tumor. So that's something that, you know, is, I'm lucky that I'm able to tolerate it. Even though I have side effects, I'm, I try and push through my side effects and kind of live with them. You know, I get the cold sensitivity to your fingers, your toes, so I wear gloves yeah. or I put socks on. You know what I mean? I, you, can't, you can't give up. You have to, in my case, I don't want to speak for everybody, but in my case, I feel like I really need this, these medications to kill the cancer shrink the tumor so i'm going to have to just suffer with these these side effects but um well you find a way happening you find a way right like you have to find that way that yeah you have to find other kind of things go around it you know maybe that are not you know like i said put i put my gloves on when i'm or i help my husband get ice for me um because i can't touch ice because i have cold sensitivity um in my hands and i you know and i have lost I have, my hair has thinned out too, yeah. um, especially on the top, but you know, I think that's helped not losing my hair. It's made me feel a little bit better, even though it shouldn't, but I was kind of bummed out about the prospect of possibly 
losing my hair, you know, that, you know, because on top of that, then you have to lose your hair. It's, it's, it's a cruel disease, you know, cancer, it really, really they, is. They, they all suck. Yeah, but um, you have to, you have to fight it, so yeah. that's, did you? I'm, I'm excited. I'm actually, you know, supposedly going to now be getting my Whipple procedure in February because, you know, they give you a couple weeks off yeah. to get your, so I'll be meeting with surgeons sometime in January and, uh, and that I'm a little worried about because I know the Whipple is not an easy surgery, but I just want to get through chemo first and then, but I'm very grateful to get the Whipple because that's ultimately what I wanted, but it's a scary prospect of what, you know has to happen and then you think well how what am I gonna not be able to eat afterwards or how am I gonna feel because that it affects your it changes your life it so, all does yes but I think you have to you what's the adage you have to uh, crawl before you can walk yeah so I think you know getting through this this next phase will be important and then right get through the chemo first yeah. and then worry about you take one step at a time I yeah. think is the big thing yeah I don't want to sit here Every night thinking about, oh, the Whipple procedure, and this is going to be tough. But first, I have to get through today. So that's, that's right. what I try and do. I kind of push it off and uh, just go on until it comes, the day comes where I'm getting it, then I'll worry about it. So That's right. That's all you yeah. can do. Did yeah. you, are you supplementing your treatment with anything at home? And what do I mean by that? And I mean, we've had fighter survivors on the podcast that have talked about you know, using essential oils, CBD, um, you know, here in the state of Connecticut, there's, there's the ability for patients to, you know, receive, uh, the, the mar- medical marijuana cards. Um, you know, some people have continued, you know, working out yoga, meditation, any, anything extra? No, you know what? No, not as far as that, because I, I was doing yoga prior to being sick. I just started a program. But I'm so weak, and my legs are so weak, I, I just can't do yoga. I can't, and, and I do get the tachycardia, the high um, heart rate, so I can't, uh, yeah. just walking, I can't even walk my dogs right now, which really devastates me, mm. um, because my heart rate gets too high, and that's very dangerous. So I've been, um, it's very abnormal for me to come home and sit down, but I, I have to, even though in my head it's, I'm screaming because I don't want to be sitting around, but I, I physically can't do it. That and that's been a huge like adjustment for me. Yeah, is that part because um, like I said, I was super speedy woman, always cleaning my house. You know, I have a, and my my husband and I have a very old house uh, that we bought to remodel, and we do everything in it. And you know, I can't help my husband like I usually used to, and. With our pro- we would do a project every season, and uh, I can't do anything. I can't even walk a couple steps, and I get I get short of breath. So that's been a huge bummer. But I, I mean, the only thing I really do is I'll do some uh, peppermint essential oils, and mm-hmm. I do do my breathing exercises, kind of like yoga ish breathing. But that's to get my heart rate down, down which it yeah. does work. But um, yeah, that's about it. I'm not really into that other kind of stuff. Okay. I'm more into like positive thinking kind of and as much as you can you can't always be positive with this no well those are the reality if somebody said that but you also can't be get yourself constantly oh woe is me I'm, I'm you, ha- you have to you have to have a good attitude because I, I see that has helped me a lot 
um, and, and try not to always be thinking about it, which is very difficult. But did you I mean, meditate? I think your attitude is that's that's what everybody says is, is attitude is a lot of it. So. Yeah, well, the attitude is everything, right? Uh, did you meditate oh, yeah. prior, or do you meditate? Like, I guess meditate. You know, I mean that that has kind of a, you know, we could even say like, you know, just think a lot about it or journal. Have you ever done anything like no, that? No, no. And, you know, I think I'm more of a person, like, I find solace in reading, like, talking to other people that have it. And it's very mm. hard to find people, especially, like, my age. Or um, I had a hard time because you almost feel lonely. You know, like, you're the only person that has this. If you don't have a, if you know, if you don't go to support groups or such, which yeah. I haven't gone physically to a support group. Um, because I have difficulty sometimes driving and it's hard for me to get out and I'm tired, but I just found this other support group and I'm actually talking to a couple women that are in the same position I am and that's helped a lot because it's like, oh, you know, how are you feeling at this point and, um, how are you eating? So that's been nice to talk to other people and see how they're doing at the point you are and is what I'm going through normal, am I eating normally? Um, are you working? Are you, you know, so it's, I like, I really like that a lot because that, you know, actually makes me feel better to talk to others that are in the same boat. Well, there's strength in numbers and I think it's yeah. powerful. And I think this is my next question that I'm going to ask you. This, this is a great lead in. And, sure. but I will say this before is I think it's hard for example, me to talk to you about what you're going through because I'm not going through it, right? And so when you do have that connection, when you talk to another fighter or survivor that went through that, they get it, they understand it, right? But I didn't, I, I've never done chemotherapy. Uh, I've never fought pancreatic cancer. I saw it happen with my dad and I've seen it with many other people. But I think it's there's something very powerful with that though, when you do connect with someone who is going through what you're going through or has gone through what you're going through. Oh, yeah. I mean, because there's, you feel very lonely. I mean, because the people that are your caregivers, your friends, they can't understand. Correct. They they can sympathize. And like I said, everybody in my situation has been huge help. But when you find a group of people that, and that's why support groups, I guess, are great because, you know, I'm, I'm like, oh, this happened to me and this didn't happen to me or I can give up my advice because I'm so, you know, deep into my chemo yeah. to my new friend that's only two in and I try and give her advice and that makes you even feel better because you're like, maybe I could help this person get through this too, which I like being a nurse and a caregiver. That's what I've always done and I don't like being the patient yeah. and that's a huge adjustment for me is being the person that needs help because I was always the help, the one that went over, helped people. And so that's another thing is you're in a different, whole different situation as far as now I'm no longer, I'm no longer, I don't even feel like a nurse really because I'm so, I'm almost a patient. Yeah, no, true. It's the opposite of what I was doing. Yeah. Or who I, who I am is, is being in healthcare for over, over 20 years. Which is a hard transition. Oh, it's it's. But difficult. then again, I can now. Every time I get sick or something happens, I say, "Okay, well now you know I can sympathize with these patients. I know what they're going through." Yeah, no. It, so that's always good to know. And also, how do people? Be, how are you treated in the hospital? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't tell people I was a nurse because I wanted to see. I just like to see how they're 
you know, what people, what the, the providers are doing, how they talk to you, how yeah. they explain things to somebody that maybe they don't know knows about medicine. It's kind of my own little internal experiment. Um, and uh, I, find, I, I used to learn so many things during all this, and it's been quite the experience, I will tell you. I, I wouldn't want to wish it on anybody, but, you know, what are you going to do? You, it, it happens to you, you got to face it, and you have to just go on and do the best you can fighting. That, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. So on that note, though, that we're just talking about on the subject, what do you think? And, and this is your opinion, Josie. This is this is not. We're not gonna. You know, this is not the the, the way that things uh, we're gonna tell people to do. But I think it's something very important because, and the question is, what's the best thing people can do for someone who's battling pancreatic cancer? And maybe it's the things that you mentioned before that we can reiterate that your friends have done. But I think that's something that a lot of people really struggle with, and it, I think it goes both ends. Some people disappear because they don't know what to do when a friend is battling. And then some people are, are too much. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You, you, you have off, you have, uh, from, you have both sides cause you'll, you'll know who, uh, you know, who kind of bows out and then you have people that stand up and you're like, wow, I didn't, that was unexpected. You learn a lot about your people, but I, you know, I think if I if I met somebody that was just getting diagnosed, and my probably biggest advice would be, you know, just, you know, definitely stay off the internet yeah. and don't really look because it really does. It, at first, the first month I had it, it I was very non hopeful, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, to get a lot of support, try and maybe join a support group. And there's plenty out there. I know a lot of the yeah. hospitals have support groups. I mean, th- I think the one challenging part, you know, maybe there might not be pancreatic cancer patients in there. And that's one thing I think that we hope we do. And I know there's right. other we, groups here. Find, I have yeah. found just specific to pancreatic cancer. And, and even though there's some, one of them is not even, you, you have to go online and do it. It's not mm-hmm. in the state. But you can go on, you know, a link on, you know, the first Monday of the month. And those kind of things, I think, are helpful. And even the caregivers, they have support groups for people. I mean, because their lives are changed, too. The person that is, you know, your husband, your wife, your daughter, your son. You you know, um, being a caregiver is a strain, too, and, and they need support. But, yeah, definitely, I think, finding support. And, you know, try, just trying to stay healthy through it all and having a positive outlook, I think, helps a lot. That's definitely what I would tell somebody. That's powerful just, stuff. You know. What's probably the one thing from a from a caregiver perspective that you can say for you that someone did that was, like, awesome? And it could be your husband even, you know. I, I say caregiver, friends, husband, spouse. I think that, well... One of the things I find is the people that bring me to chemo, my friends, I have a couple of friends and my sister was bringing me in the summer. She's a teacher, so she'd have, you know, these people, you're there, especially with my chemo, like I said, from 6.30 in the morning, I have to be there and you're not out of there till one thirty, two o'clock. That's a long day. And these people just sit, they drive me, they sit there with me all day. It's kind of boring, you know, It's and they do it week after week after week and never complain um and you know my husband of course has to have have, do a lot of the housework now because i just can't do it yeah um and take care of the dogs and 
laundry, carry this. And, you know, so I think that um, having that, those kind of things, um, my daughter will come on the weekends and she'll vacuum for me. Um, but those are the kind of things that really is, is having the support of people has been, I think, most surprising and uh, how, how nice people are, you know, they're giving their time up, really. So I think I found that, like, discovering people people are kind, I think, has been a, a, a big thing for me because, you know, you, you get, like I told you, you get, um, you don't, you don't think like that every day. And then when you see it, you're like, wow, look at all these people helping me. Um, you know, my sister, who owns a deli, always sending me food, meals. Even while I'm at work, she'll have her husband run me um, soup or uh, she brought me cookies. The other day. I, you know, people are always thinking of me, which is, you know, pretty nice. So that's that's been the best, I think, the best thing. It's powerful stuff, Josie. Yeah. I, I think, you know... Time doesn't cost anyone anything, you know, in terms of like going out and buying something for someone like, you know, you know, you know, I mean, time as they say is money, right? Like someone could be working or, you know, but you you can't get that time back, you know, and, and, but it's so powerful though to to just be there with someone as they go through that. So absolutely. And I think I would hope that anybody that even had a friend that was listening to this or a family member go over to their house or maybe um, help them vacuum their floors, things they can't do, or go and help them with their garden or whatever, that is a huge help for somebody with cancer. Or maybe, you know, go to the grocery store for them. Those kind of things that you can't do, that a cancer patient really can't do anymore, that makes a huge difference. Um, Just a little bit of somebody's time, um, that is something that really would help somebody it's powerful and, stuff you know yeah that's that's i appreciate you with the honesty there because i think that's something where i think caregivers really struggle with and i say caregivers loosely because it's not like you know someone who lives with you is probably gonna you know they're they're gonna do everything they can but you know those friends and those family i know a lot of times they just don't know and i think what happens a lot and i've seen this and this is not scientific but i think people shy away from from people that are sick because they just don't know what to do. Yeah, and they don't know how to act, I think, too. Yeah. Like I said, especially in my situation, and I and believe me, I'm not a spring chicken. I mean, I'm 49 <laughs> years old, but there's not a lot of people, you know, you don't know a lot of people that get cancer, and sometimes people don't want to face that or they are afraid yeah. of it. I don't know why, but in my situation, thank goodness, it's the opposite. I've had people... You know, do you, when they say, do you need anything? I, you know, you don't want to say yes, because you don't want to burden anybody. Yeah. But people will insist, a lot of my friends and uh, family. And now I've gotten kind of used to getting like, okay, being the patient and saying, okay, you know, I need help. Yeah, I do need help with this. Or to my sister, could you bring me to the, you know, the drugstore? And um, they do it, and that's that's what really I think, especially people getting chemo or radiation, or you're just you can't really do those kind of things anymore while you're under treatment. So that that's extremely helpful. It's powerful helpful. stuff. Last question for you. Sure. How would you define your definition of pancreatic cancer? Hmm. And there's no right or wrong answer to this. Well. 
I don't. I would. I don't even know. I mean, I would just say it's 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 really a, it's it's a terrible <laughs> diagnosis, in my opinion, um, because of the numbers. And I would just and and that it's not usually diagnosed early, and that, and that's why, as you know, it's so deadly. It's mm-hmm. diagnosed a lot of times just too late. So it's almost like you know you think of it as a death sentence, and that's when I think of pancreatic cancer. And in my my mind, I just see something very bad, like, oh, here's the, it's a death sentence. But it really, it doesn't have to be, you know. And like you said, the treatments are getting a little bit better, And um, but it's not a nice word. And it's like I hate even hearing the word sometimes. Or I feel like every time I look on, uh, you know, social media now, I, all I see is pancreatic. And, you know, it's, oh, this one's got pancreatic cancer or Alex Trebek. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a... In my, I just feel like it's, it's, you know, I know it's one of the top three worst cancers you can get as far as numbers of, of deaths and stuff. So that's probably the, the worst part about having it, and that's what, in my mind, defining it, that's all I could really see, even trying to have a good attitude, because, you know, it's just, it's, it's not a nice thing, that's for sure. But you can, I think you can go on, and you can hopefully... They say they say they're going to cure me, but you know, I, I just want to take it one day at a time and not try and get excited about the prospects of what's going to, you know, what my future is going to be. So, well, hopefully, it's, it's powerful. Everything stu- will work out. So, it, well, you know, it's powerful stuff what you just said, and I think that the one thing that I just wrote here, you know, you have such a, a a positive mindset, and I think that's something for our listeners at home, and and the reason why we ask the questions we do. Josie, um, you know, because I think there's a similarity that I have seen, at least I can speak from experience with a lot of the survivors and fighters that have beat this thing is that mindset. And that's so powerful. And I think it's easy as we wrap this podcast episode up, as you said, it's easy to go down that rabbit hole of this thing called pancreatic cancer and the, the the stark reality. We know what the reality is, but that doesn't have to be your experience. It can be different. And your proof that that is happening and I appreciate you for sharing, you know, your honesty and and for sharing your experience with us and our audience. Our last thing is and I know you're pretty active on Instagram, but if there's someone listening to this podcast that says, you know what, that's me, I'm going through the same thing, or someone that may have a loved one that's going through the same thing, and they want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to kind of connect with you? Is it the Instagram page? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, they can always direct message me. Um, I do like, you know, I, I do really do like to make new friends. I, and I have a few friends on Instagram that are pancreatic cancer um, survivors and um, it's my Instagram is uh, Josie J O S I E I N C T seventy and uh, you know they can, you can request my to be my friend and you know we could maybe talk or um, I, I actually you know like that because it's really good therapy too and and also ex- you know exchanging stories and <clears throat> I think that's very helpful in anybody's treatment I really, really that's very important too. Well. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. And as I always tell all our survivors and fighters, thank you for allowing us to tell your story and about your journey. And also, I, I think, you know, as I mentioned offline and I mentioned a, a couple times in the podcast, thank you for allowing yourself to open up to the world 
and Instagram on the podcast and not just share things about, you know, the journey of fighting this thing, which we all know, you know, the chemotherapy treatments. We don't, we don't know everything about it, which I think is important as we, we shared here, but just your, your, your life, your dogs, uh, your experiences on social media, which is, I think really cool to see. Um, and, and I think that type of awareness is critical because I, as I said, we all know the reality, but your experience is different and, and you are proving that. And, and I think by sharing stuff with your, with chunk, as I look at the, I'm looking at the Instagram page here, even your profile picture, you got, you know, you kissing chunk and, and just the pictures of, of uh, the video of him in the snow and the Halloween. I mean, that's, that's, that's what's going to Oh yeah. Help. And you know what? And I will tell you, and this sounds silly, but one of the biggest reasons every day I say to chunk you know, when we're sitting together, mommy is going to be okay because I have to take care of you because, you know, he kind of, I would, you know, he's, uh, that's my, my main goal. Like having a daughter out of the house and no kids. Yeah. I have in my head, I am staying alive because my dog needs me because my husband, you know, my dog could be a little, uh, a little fresh. I mean, I sometimes and only listens to me and it, you know, I, so that's actually one of my motivations for being healthy is taking care of my dog and my birds, you know, um, because who my, my poor husband, if something happened to me, you know, he would be not stuck, but you know what I mean? But yeah. my animals and, you know, Chunk has very specific dietary needs and he, you know, when we go to the vet, he's got to be muzzled. But there's so many things that my husband, you know, doesn't, because I bring them. So I... In my head, I am fighting because I have to be here for my dog, and that sounds silly to some people, but for me, that's my definitely uh, that's how my mindset because that's what's important to me. So. Well, that's the stuff that's going to get you through this, and and the yeah. stuff that's important yeah. to us all. Thank you, Josie, for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast, for sharing your story of inspiration for our audience, and as we say, that's another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.